Good morning. My name is Michael, one of the pastors here at the church. Excited to have you with us on this Sunday morning. I say uh, I have one quick announcement before we get started into the sermon. But before that, I want to talk about that last song for just a second. There's a line in there, that um, the sloppy wet kiss line. Um, and, you know, if you notice on the radio, they've changed it. They've taken it out and they've changed it. I don't know what they've replaced it with because what? Unforeseen? Unforeseen kiss. Blah, blah, blah. Boo. There was one time in here that the worship team took that line out and did it. This was a while ago. And I said, no, 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 no. The sloppy white kiss part is my favorite part of that song. Um, because that is a picture. You know, that is something that just screams you. A sloppy wet kiss. It makes me think of John Fasante, this guy I knew. Um, he was an older guy when we lived in Connecticut. Lived next door to us. And he was... Pasante, you know, I mean, he was, that's where he was, you know, and so when he greeted you, it was a sloppy wet kiss on the cheek, but you knew that he was just for you in all stretch of the imagination. It was, so I always think of, for whatever reason, um, John Pasante. You may think of other people. I don't know if you know John, but um, you should, you should have met him. He was awesome. Um, so there you go. That's, that has nothing to do with anything. I just like sloppy wet kisses. But for many of you people, let's be clear about this, that uh, it's different now and how I am. It's just, you know, like from grace, you can give me the sloppy wet kiss and and stuff. But so uh, one one you may have been here last week when I made this announcement. If you were um, too bad, uh, I'm going to make it one more time. We are uh, in the middle of a transition from from tabernacle to resurrection, from who we were when we began 15 years ago to who God is changing us into from a community that said, it's okay if you come on a Sunday morning and we don't notice that you are here, to a community that says, no, 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 that's not the way God wants it any longer. From a community that, um, that was built around um, a performance to a community that is about community, that is about one another. Part of the, the, the origination of this service was the idea that this would be a holy space, that coming into this gymnasium to create a worship uh, service, we would need to make some sort of mark that this is a place where, where you worship God. And so we, we looked into this tabernacle thing, and a lot of the people who were involved prayed through that. And, and the idea of tabernacle came from the Old Testament when God is setting up his dwelling place and he's very meticulous and very, very descriptive about this is what I want. This is how I want it done. Pages and pages and pages about exactly how he wanted it. A lot of the colors that he uses are the colors that we incorporated into this room. The, the colors that Marianne Hollings had used to create the crosses that hang on the wall behind me were from God's directives to the people of Israel. Uh, that was beautiful and wonderful, and it served us for a time, but, but now we're moving, we're changing, and God's calling us into a new reality, a reality of living a resurrected life, that, that it's not just about a house of worship, that it's about the people who come there. And it's about not just Sunday morning, but it's about every other day of the week. And so as we shift from this mentality that it's just Sunday morning, one hour a week, that it's your life, that it's everything you are, that when you come into this room, you are known. And you are cared for and you are loved. I got to tell you, after the, uh, one of the services last week, someone came up to me and pushed back on that and said, I like being anonymous. I like being able to come in here and to deal with my stuff with God and no one coming up and getting into my face. 
And I said, I respect that and let's talk more about it. And so last week we had a conversation about this, that reality of of being able to come and to be in your own space. And wouldn't it be great if people, his name's not Bob, but we say Bob comes in here and everybody knows Bob and knows that Bob doesn't like to be talked to. Like Bob's the guy who comes in and, you know, Bob's your uncle, but Bob's the guy who comes in and says, hey, just leave me alone and let me be with God. And we say, Bob, we see Bob and we go, hey, Bob, how you doing? And now we're done. But we know that Bob's here and Bob matters. There's a difference there in coming in and no one knowing that you're here and coming in and being left alone, but people knowing that you're here. And so we're changing into that type of community where we know you're here and we want to know you're here. And when you struggle, we struggle and we want to be with you. And when you rejoice, we want to rejoice with you. And part of that changing from who we are is a change in this room to make a physical change. A lot of times God says, do this physically so that you can understand what I'm trying to teach you spiritually. And so in this instance, what we are doing is changing this room from facing this way to facing to the west. Facing paisanos, if you will, for those of you that mark things by restaurants, um, to facing that way. And, and you might have been here on the Sunday that we, the, we made the change. And, and what it does is it does a few things. One, it brings everyone closer to worship. Those of you in the back rows, sorry, you're going to be, you can still be in the back row, but you're going to be about halfway. You know, it's going to be so much better that way. And you're not going to stare at the backs of people's heads any longer. Um, you know, and so let's be honest, some of you, the back of your head, not very pretty, you know? Um, and you, I mean, you may know who you are, you, but you never see it. You're like, Let me, let's back. um, but, but you know, it, we're, we're going to see one another. As you sit in a semicircular way, you're going to look across the way and see the people who come every Sunday to worship with you. It's going to create a different atmosphere. We're going to set up a ministry time over here, different things going on. We're very excited about it. We've been praying about this room and how to change this room into more who we are becoming for years. Years we have been praying about this. And different things have been floated and different ideas have come up. And this is the one where God is leading us today. And so we have, over the course of quite a while now, been um, researching and bringing in um, people to uh, electricians and lighting experts and sound experts and projection experts and and seat people. We've had uh, countless numbers of sample seats sent to us. Um, And then we had people like Goldilocks come in and sit down. No, that's too firm. No, that's too soft. Ooh. Um, And we've landed on a, a new chair um, and, and if you have sat in the new chair, it's been out here from time to time. Um, you may have glimpsed going from this chair to that one, just a little bit of what heaven is going to feel like. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to get rid of these horrendous instruments of torture, um, and, and create a, a new environment. And then, and then, um, is Stace, can you just roll that video uh, while I'm talking about it? And then create, uh, there's going to be new sound stuff, a new soundboard that will enable volunteers to come and to be involved in something that you don't have to know a ton about. Right now, our soundboard, you need like five degrees in order to run it. It is so great and wonderful, but complicated. Um, and then we're going to do this. And someone came up to me afterwards in um, one of the services and was like, um, is this going to be like, um, like airbrushed or, or something like that. And I was like, I didn't explain what this is at all. I know I made a comment about it, but um, what this is is called environmental projection. And there will be three projectors set up, and we will have the ability to change what our sanctuary is on a weekly, um, maybe monthly, depending on what we do, basis. And it enables us to just open up some of the um, 
to, to grasp hold of some of the traditions of our faith and to incorporate them and to present them in a way um, that we would speak today. So uh, I'm, I'm super, super excited about um, this entire change, uh, the, the change in, in both the physical aspects of this room, but the change in who we are as a community. And because of that, I come to you and I ask for you to be a part of this transition. Um, they, the worship team brought up the fact that um, I like, as, as you know, I am a germ freak. And hospital visits for me are a step in um, the, the care of God, uh, to say the least, that he and I have to be close for me to walk into a hospital. Um, and, and they said, do you like going to the hospital or asking for money better? I said, hospital any day of the week, man. Just give me the hospital. I do not like asking for money. Um, however, here we are. Uh, we had, uh, over, before we began the project, um, a little over $60,000 already contributed or found in different accounts throughout the church that could be applied towards this project. Uh, so th- the entire total cost of the project uh, is a little over 124, a little under $125,000. We were over halfway there already. And so we want this to be a community project. Pray about it. Pray if God is leading you to join us in this effort. $5, $500, it doesn't matter really. We want everyone's hands to be a part of this. If this is a place that you call home, if this is a place that you come to worship on a regular basis, this is part of your community and we would love for you to be a part of this project, this change in who we are physically and spiritually. Um, Something, a gift that is above your regular tithe, of course. Um, Now, Please know that I don't know what anybody gives, and I don't want to know. Um, I do know, however, um, one couple came up to me after one of the services last week and asked me if I um, would accept a matching donation, to which I said I accept all donations, um, of course. And, and they talked about how um, powerful the ministry of New Heights has been in their lives, and they wanted to, uh, to challenge our community to make a donation. And I said, that's great. Y'all go and, and pray about it and, and, uh, and let me know uh, whatever it is. And, and I was distracted as I so often am um, from them and turned for a second and I turned back around. They're like, okay, we have a number. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so shoot it out, you know, $5,000. That's great. Perfect. They said $30,000. What? I'm like, thir- like 29, 30, 30, 30. Um, and so they have just amazingly, generously challenged our community as we as a community can come together and contribute $30,000 towards this project. They will match us um, and take care of, of the rest uh, that is out there. So um, just a, a wonderful uh, couple who, and I have to be honest, until they approached me last week, didn't know their names. Um, which is both bad and good, I think, um, maybe as, as I look at that. But, uh, so we would love for you to, to be a part of this. Uh, if you choose to do so um, on your check or an envelope that are on those offertory boxes back there, right, CLC transition, something to that nature, so that the accountants uh, who get the money will know that it is going towards that. Pray about it. Um, if you have questions, please come ask me about this. Come ask me about the change, um, but spiritually, physically, about the technical aspects of it. I can kind of give you some answers or point you to people who know. Um, ask me about anything. Um, we would love, uh, love your feedback and pushback. If, you, if you're against it, we want to know that too. 
um, we're not going to change, but we want to walk with you in, in that, um, in that againstness of, of it. There you go. So we have just finished uh, a series on listening to God and what it means to listen to God and why do we listen to God and how do we listen to God? And, and we've talked about, um, all of these different aspects of, of the listening part of it. And so this summer, what we're doing is we're going on this journey of, okay, now that we know about listening to God, let's zero in and focus on some people who actually did. So we're going to, over the course of the summer, uh, look at some uh, stories from some of the great fathers and mothers of our faith. And, and what is it that God said to him and, and why is it important and how did they listen and then what does it mean for us? And so we begin that series today. Um, in, in 1990. Seven-ish, I graduated from college finally. Um, I took a year longer. I, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun at A&M, and we broke up. And then I finished at another school. Um, and I, my degree was in elementary education with a minor in theater arts. And I found myself in San Antonio, Texas, teaching fifth grade. And I was here in San Antonio, and I didn't know anybody here. This is a big city, but I'm not from here. Um, and, and I went to high school in the San Francisco Bay area. So this was out of, um, out of my person knowledge, uh, and except for one girl, um, who I knew from college and, uh, her name was Brooke is Brooke. Uh, and I had a little crush on Brooke, not gonna lie to you. Brooke was good looking and, and Brooke was into her faith and she was going to this thing. Uh, for singles, this Christian group for singles, and she called me and invited me, and she could have invited me anywhere, and I would have said, yeah, I'll be there. Um, and so I showed up to this thing and, and started going with her on um, these nights. I think it was Tuesday nights or something, and, and, uh, and it was hearing this guy talk, and this guy, his name was Todd, um, was telling me my story. It was amazing. Everything he was saying about his life was my life. And so I just was like so interested. I grew up in the Episcopal Church and I've been baptized as a baby and went through confirmation in Ruston, Louisiana at Redeemer uh, Episcopal Church. And um, Father Worley was his name. Uh, Worley. It's a great name. Uh, but and, and I'd and grown up going to church with my family, um, you know, on and off. We weren't we were Episcopalians. OK. Uh, and so take that for what you will. Uh, but I wasn't really into my faith in a relationship like I've got to know more about Jesus kind of way until this guy Todd started talking to me. And it just really lit something in me. And I knew that I needed to find a church and I knew that I needed to get reinvested in my life of faith again. And, and I didn't want to go to the church where they were doing this thing because it just wasn't, um, wasn't for me. And, and so I was trying to look around and, and it turns out that there was someone else I knew here in San Antonio. And I'd known him since I was three years old. His name's Keith Shelley. You may know Keith. You may know his wife, who is much better looking and smarter than he. She is Pastor Dinah Shelley, who, uh, who serves down the hall. And so they, of course, were here. She was one of the newer pastors here on staff. And, and as they came, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start going to church. So I started coming over here. I lived um, on the other side of town, but I would drive over here to come to church on Sunday mornings. This service didn't exist yet, so I was in the sanctuary. In fact, I joined the choir. That's right. I used to wear a robe. And everything. Um, by the way, my in-laws were at the 930 service and they're like, you weren't in the choir. I was like, dude, go ask Ruth Ann. All right, go ask the choir director. See who was a baritone, baby. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I was invested in that and everything. And then this guy, Scott Hare, this pastor comes and, and, and he's 
uh, you know, kind of he and I really get along and, um, and we go to Guyana and we find ourselves on a mission trip in Guyana, South America. And, and Scott and I go off, um, there's, is the two of us and then some other, um, some other people from our church, mostly women, but Scott and I, for some reason, just the two of us went to this youth camp overnight with these youth from the city of Georgetown, um, in Plaisance, right outside of Georgetown, Guyana. And, uh, we were the only two white people within like 300 miles. And we know this because it was pointed out to us. Um, and on our way back, this huge storm comes in. I mean, it's South America, Guyana, near the equator. It's just like this rain. And we've got to get back uh, across this Lake Esequipe, um, which we're in this boat and it starts leaking. Uh, it's this little boat. And like the, when you know you're in trouble when the guy running the motor hands you a butter dish and says, start bailing. <laughs> like, okay. um, and we make it across there. And, and then um, like the van who was supposed to get us couldn't get down through the jungle muddy road. And so they're like, start walking. We're like, okay. And if you know Scott, uh, Scott is one of the whitest guys you may ever meet. Um, and I'm not far behind him. So the two of us just start walking through this jungle periodically people would come out with machetes from the jungle, just stand there. Um, and cause they're out, they're off in the jungle, they're cutting their sugar cane, different things that are out there. And they would come out and just say, hi. Um, literally they just go, hi, I'm like, hi, this is just weird. Um, and then at one point somebody goes, white people. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, and, and it was great. And so we get back, we get home, and, and I was asked to speak at this event that happened here, Ordinary Lives, Extraordinary Faith, that happened here in the CLC. And I was standing up here, we had uh, just a little um, uh, stage, and uh, no lights, and it was, all the lights were on, and, and my soon-to-be sister-in-law is standing, talking about her experiences in Mexico, and, and I get down and I speak, and, and I'm sure I cried because of the moments that I just really, just God was saying, this is who you are come into who you are. And it was just really this emotional thing. And, um, and, and some of the people who were with me on the trip were pointing out this redheaded girl in the, in the audience afterwards. And they're saying, this is, a, she's a teacher like you and you need to meet her. And I said, no, no, no. Who's that girl? Um, and I pointed to Jenna and they're like, no, it'll never work. You're way too sarcastic for her. There's no way. Um, and then eight months later I asked her to marry me. And four months after that we were married. But it, it was just this amazing time in my life. And once we got married, I decided that I wanted to take my bride and provide for her in a way that a teacher just can't. And so I, I got a job in sales in, in Oklahoma. We call it our time in the wilderness. We moved to Norman right after um, our wedding and, uh, and didn't know a soul, which was wonderful for us because we just got to be friends. Um, and it was so, so much fun up there. And in December of that year... Uh, I had this dream and in this dream, a phone was ringing and it was just ringing and ringing and ringing. And I'm sitting in this chair and, and I'm like, somebody answer the phone. And someone goes and they answer the phone. They're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Michael, it's your call. They're ready for your seminary now. Okay. So I wake up and I wake up Jenna and I'm like, all right, we're going to seminary. Jenna and I had talked about this, this kind of, um, getting more into our faith. And we had these visions and these, in these talks and these prayers about, us being in ministry, but we didn't really know. And we weren't, we couldn't pull the trigger really. And then that dream happens. I'm like, uh, okay. We waited. She was a school teacher until the school year finished. And we started looking for uh, seminaries and different places to go. And, um, 
And I, because of my, my tie to this church and having been here for so many years and helping to start New Heights, I was one of our first worship leaders here. Um, because of that, I knew that it was Methodist, and I just, I just connected with the Methodist faith. And, and so we looked for different seminaries around the country and um, places like Duke. Like, who would go to Duke, you know? Uh, Perkins at SMU. Yeah, right. Um, and we just found a real good fit in, in Fort Worth at TCU. And so we end up there in Fort Worth. And um, two years into seminary, I, my in-laws um, take us on this trip with Ray Vanderlyn. And we go to Turkey, and, and we're doing the, the race study series in Turkey, and it's just this amazing stuff. I learned more on that trip than I did um, in seminary, and seminary cost a whole lot more. Um, but as we're coming up from the Aegean Sea in Ephesus, we're in Ephesus, and we've just been um, just doing these amazing teachings, and then we have a night off, and we're kind of swimming in the sea, and we're walking up from the sea, and I'm standing next to David Manitsky, Pastor David, and um, he goes, hey... When you're done with seminary, do you want to come back to San Antonio and come to our church? Um, huh? Here's the thing. When God woke me up that night and gave me that dream, He said, it's your call. Go to seminary. That's it. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12, Verse 1, it says this, Then the Lord told Abram, Leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed him. When God calls Abram, he says, Leave everything you know and go. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. That's it. Those are his instructions. Now, we don't know really anything about Abram before this moment. Before this moment, he's really not on the radar whatsoever. His family is, sure, but not him. All of a sudden, we hear about this guy named Abram, and it says, hey, take your family... Leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your friend, leave your father's house and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Isn't it funny that when God calls you somewhere, he doesn't tell you exactly where he wants you to go? Manitsky says it this way. He says, God doesn't say, hey, you know, Michael, I want you to go to Austin and I want you to go into Austin. And when you get to Austin, I'm going to let you know that you are indeed in Austin. And then I'm going to show you exactly where to go in Austin. I'm going to give you the signs and the points and I'm going to, here's where it's going to be. Here's everything laid out before you go. What he says is, hey, Michael, go north. Okay. What he said to Abram wasn't, hey, this is what's going to happen. Just go. And know that I'm going to be with you. Abram didn't have the rest of this story to fall back on. We have the luxury of knowing the story of Abram. We have the luxury of knowing the story of Paul. We have the luxury of knowing the story of the disciples. We have the luxury of knowing Jesus Christ. Abram didn't have that. He said, faith. God says, go. He said, okay. And he took everything and he left. When God called me in December of 2000 to go to seminary, 
I didn't know that a few years later I'd be walking up from the Aegean Sea and David Meniski would say, hey, do you want to come back to San Antonio where you have a connection and be a pastor? Do you want to come back to your wife's home church and be a pastor? I didn't know when he called me that um, I would come back to the very service that I helped to create and become the pastor here. I didn't know when he called me that my worship leader would be someone I met in 1992, my freshman year at A&M. I didn't know when he called me to seminary that our, the person who is the, our prayer ministry leader, who is just, this mo, just an incredibly influential person on my spiritual life and in the direction of this community, was the first person outside of my parents that I told I was going to ask Jenna to marry me. She was the one who said it would never work, by the way. Doesn't hear from God all the time. I didn't know that in December of 2000, five years later, my world would be rocked. In December of 2005, when Grace was born. I didn't know how much it would change me. I didn't know how much it would make me hurt. I didn't know how dark I would fall but how much I would feel the presence of God. I didn't know any of that. Do you think Abram knew that at one point he was to be asked by God to take his son and to lay him on an altar and to raise a knife to sacrifice him when he called him? Do you think that he knew that he would have to argue with God to save people's lives? Do you think that he knew when God said, go to the country I'm showing you, that his whole identity would change? He would no longer be Abram, but he would be Abraham, the father of many nations. No, because the thing about it is that if, if I had known, I wouldn't have had the courage. If Abram had known, I bet that he wouldn't have the courage. God understands that when he calls us, he's like, look. I want you to go this way and it's going to be amazing and I'm going to be with you, but there are going to be things that stand against you and you don't need to know that yet. You just need to trust me and go. What Abram teaches me that every point in my life when God calls me to something bigger than myself, because let's be honest, God doesn't call us to be who we are right now. God doesn't say, hey, Michael, I'm going to call you to be exactly where you are right now and exactly who you are right now. You're good. You've made it. Done. We can do no better with you. I know. You should laugh at that. There's no way he would ever say that about me. No. He'd be like, hey, it's been fine up till now, but let's go deeper. Let's go further. God calls us to something. God calls us from where we are to where he longs for us to be. Now, look, God's not going to call all of you to go to seminary. And you should all say, hallelujah, praise Jesus for that. God's not going to call all of you to be in ministry and, and fight for mine and Daryl's jobs because you will lose. Because you have to arm wrestle Daryl. God's not going to call you to go and to experience life the way that Abram did or the way that I have. But God is going to call you. God's going to call you. He's going to say, my child, my son, my daughter, come with me. You think the disciples knew what they were getting into when Jesus walks by on the shore and he says, hey, come follow me. Do you think they understood with the next three years, the next however long each one of them different lived? 
Do you think they understood what was really going to happen? Or they just said, hey, oh, we got to go. Do you think at the end of their lives, any one of them, looking back, would have said, I should have stayed a fisher. No. No way. God talks to us all the time. God is calling us from where we are to where he longs for us to be. Listen. Trust. And go. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you and praise you that you continue to speak to us. That you continue to call us. That while you created us in your image and so beautifully and wonderfully, you don't long for us to stay where we are now, where we were when we were babies. You long for us to grow. You long for us to become the daughters, the sons you desire. And so you call us. You call us from the place where we are. And you say, go.